Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Morning. Our reading is from Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 15. After I read, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, if you'll respond by saying, thanks be to God. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater? the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath, you blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. All right. Well, good morning. It is officially spring. Ah, feels so good for it to be spring. Yesterday, my family did um, some yard work. One advantage to having five kids (laughs) is that you just have more help in the yard, you know. Millie, not so much yet, but we're working on her. She digs holes, um, which doesn't help, but, uh, you know, we put our kids to work. So yesterday was good. It was uh, refreshing just to be outside, just to do something with your hands and see like some, some finished product afterwards. Um, has nothing to do with where I'm going. I just, thinking about that, I'm like, oh, I want to get back to doing some manual labor. just feels good. Um, but anyways, I'm really, really excited that you are all here this morning and that um, my hope is that 
by coming here, what you're saying is, I, I really want to hear what God has to say. And um, if you're a guest with us, we just want to again say welcome, and, and we're so glad that you're here. And, um, and our hope and our prayer, our desire is that by coming here, you're going to come to know who Jesus is. So our mission here at New King Church is to help as many people as possible find and follow Jesus. Everything that we do is laser-focused on that mission. We're all about Jesus, about the Word of God, about what He has said, what's really true. We're, we, are, we live in a world where there are so many false assumptions that, we're, that people believe, so many, so many half-truths, so many blatant lies, so much deception out there. You watch the news, whichever news you follow. You, you, you listen to the radio. You, you go you scroll through social media. That You watch movies and TV. And, and there's, there's messages being sent to us constantly, right? And what matters is what's true. That's all that matters at the end of the day. And the world would even challenge that. The world would even challenge the idea that there is no such thing as absolute truth. And so you might hear it said, well, that, you know, um, you determine your own truth. You, you've got to just find your truth. And, and, it, and to that, the question ought to be, well, if, is there such a thing as truth? That's the question that Pontius Pilate, Pilate asked. He was speaking with Jesus. It's not, a, it's not a new question. Is there such a thing as truth, can it be found? Can, can it even be known? Can it be determined? And the Bible and Jesus would say yes. Jesus' reply to, to, well, what he said to, to Pontius Pilate that caused Pilate to ask that question is that, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Truth can be known. It is not determined by us as individuals. So if you ever hear someone say there's no such thing as absolute truth, you might try responding with, are you absolutely sure? Because that statement is an absolute statement. It's, it doesn't work. It's self-refuting. You see, it doesn't even work. In order to say that statement, you have to believe in absolute truth. None of that has anything to do with my sermon. I just I feel like this is something that we need to we need to talk about and think about. Um, we, if we are not seeking the truth, then what are we doing, right? It, and if there is absolute truth, if if it can be known, what that means is that someone has determined it, and his name is God. His son is Jesus, and he's, he's revealed himself to us by the word. You know, some people think that, that Christianity is arrogant, that we say um, that, that, we're, that Christianity is arrogant because we, we, we believe truths, and we, and we stand upon them, and we're certain of them. There's nothing arrogant about saying that we can be certain about who God is because what we're, we're not saying that we have some good in us and we went and discovered this truth 
What we're saying is that there is a very good God who has revealed himself to us in order that he might be known. And he's revealed himself to us through his son Jesus and through his word. Through his word, he can be known. So, thanks. Amen. So, just a little mini sermon to start our sermon because it's the second service and we don't have another one after this, and so I can go long. So let's, uh, I want to hear, let's get some more amens in the house, okay? Good job. I love it. Amen. All right. I didn't pray yet, did I? I didn't pray yet. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you that there is a way to know you, a way to know what's true Thank you so much that you didn't leave us in the dark. We do live in a dark place with a lot of deception, and we have believed a lot of lies, and we thank you for sending your son into this darkness to be light and to shine light. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and we know, we thank you, Father, that you sent Jesus and that we can come to you through him. And Lord, we, um, we want today to, to be challenged in our assumptions that, um, that we need to be challenged in. We want to discover what's true. We want to live lives that are reflections of Christ. And so, Father, as we consider these things and look at your word, Holy Spirit, I just ask, would you be our teacher? Would you be in me and speaking through me, using your word to teach us, to convict us, to correct us, to make adjustments in our lives? And Lord, make our hearts soft and pliable so that we can be taught. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So last week, um, just to kind of recap the beginning of this message, last week we looked a good bit at um, this idea of orthodoxy, which means correct teaching, and orthopraxy, which means correct practices. And we talked about the importance of having both correct beliefs and correct practices, that a person is the way that we experience transformation is through both of these things. Correct beliefs are the foundation for correct practices. And so we, we talked about that a good bit. We um, contrasted correct beliefs and correct practices with the Pharisees, who Jesus rebukes at the beginning of this uh, sweet, gentle message that he gives to these Pharisees. I don't know if anybody else, like, listening to that was just thinking, I can't imagine being there, like, in that crowd. It's just so direct, right? And this has been building, and, and these are men who are evil, that, that, are, that are wanting to, to kill Jesus, to snuff him out, to destroy him, and Jesus brings some hard words to them. But it, he, be, he begins this rebuke um, 
talking about how they preach but do not practice. That their, their teaching was oftentimes right, not all the time. We see that in this. Many times it was very wrong. But, but sometimes they would preach correct things and Jesus would say, listen to them. They sit on the seat of Moses. But don't follow their example. Their lives are so far off. They have heads full of Scripture, but hearts far from God. They know a lot of stuff, but they do not put it into practice. And what Jesus, we we pointed out, he's not saying in any way is do not worry about right beliefs, right? That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is don't neglect right practices. Don't neglect to pay attention to the way that you're living out what you're learning. And so he, he rebukes these hypocrites over and over and over again. He delivers to them seven woes or judgments based upon the error in their, in their lives. And what you'll notice is that he is critiquing what they have assumed to be true, things that they have picked up from their subculture uh, that they lived in, the scribes, the Pharisees, they had a subculture that, li- that they lived in, and you do too, and I do too. And it might be made up of your friends, your social network, who you follow on social media, the people that you work with, the people in your class. You have a subculture that you're in, and we have to be careful that we are not being conformed to the people around us. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they missed this. So Jesus is going to challenge cultural assumptions, beliefs, and practices and sayings that they just picked up. That they never took the time to hold up to the scriptures and ask, does this align with God's word? And so when we read this scathing rebuke, Toward these religious leaders, what we need to recognize is that I can see some of me in this if I look closely. And and there's a warning for us in here. I pick up cultural assumptions and sayings and practices without even thinking about them. And so I need to pay really close attention to Jesus here. This is a, a religious culture that produced spiritual hypocrites, people who did not live in a way that aligned with what they said they believed. So we're going to pick it back up where we left off from last week, and that is in Matthew 23, verse 15. And I, I have four simple points today. Here's kind of the outline for this sermon. I have four points that we're going to take directly from this text. And the way that we're going to look at it is we're going to see the first point and then we'll, we'll say, okay, what is Jesus saying to them, to the scribes and Pharisees? Then we'll say, okay, what can we take away personally? And then finally, with each point, I'm going to suggest that something that, you know, it's not explicitly in this passage, but I'm going to suggest a practice, a habit with each point that I think is a counter practice that can protect us from the error of the Pharisees and the scribes. Make sense? With me? Okay, good. Let's do it. 
Point number one that we're going to take away that I'll show you from this text is that we reproduce who we are. We reproduce who we are. Look at verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte or convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. So what is Jesus saying to them? Let's start there. What's he saying to them? He's saying that these religious leaders were zealous about making converts. They worked hard. They will travel great distances across sea and land. They will make personal sacrifices to make converts, to make disciples. They are, do not miss this, they are sincere in their religious zeal. But what I want us to catch is that sincerity in religion does not equal godliness. If it is not aligned with God's word, sincerity means nothing. And so he says, at the end of the day, you make, you make a convert, you make them twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Hard work and determination and religious zeal does not produce fruit for God. doesn't produce godliness and righteousness. Not necessarily, not when you have a heart that's far from God. And so, because they were deceived, what did they produce? People who were deceived. Because they were legalists, bound up by the letter of the law, they produced legalists. Because they didn't love God, they produced people who didn't love God. And this is something that Jesus talks about um, very clearly. You make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And I think one thing that he's saying here is that among those who reject Christ as Lord, every generation drifts further and further into rebellion and away from God. So what can we take away? Well, we can take away this principle that, generally speaking, you won't make a disciple who is walking with God more intimately than you are. Generally speaking, you reproduce who you are. Not who you wish you were or who you like to think that you are or the person that you are in public, but the real you. That's who gets reproduced when you disciple, when you train, when you teach, when you mentor. That's what we pass on. And so what does that principle mean for us? Well, it means that if I love people and love God, and I want to make disciples, then the very first investment that I need to make for the kingdom of God is my own relationship with God. I can't fake it and help other people grow deeper. It's got to be real. It's got to be genuine. If I want, if I'm a parent, and I want my kids 
to actually be passionate about the Word of God, and I want to pass that on to them, then I better be passionate about the Word of God. Because more of discipleship is caught, I think, than taught. We, we, we intuitively pick up from those that lead us and disciple us and teach us what's true about them, not just what they say. And so Jesus says it this way in Luke 6, 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. The general principle is this. I, I think a helpful picture is that if you're, you're discipling someone, training someone, pouring into someone, then you're sort of the source of the river and the water's not going to rise higher than its source, right? And so if you want people to, to have a greater depth about themselves, about their relationship with God, then you've got to increase your depth. You, you've got to go deeper with him. You've got to go deeper in love and obedience to the Lord. Amen. Thanks, there it is again. Man, that's okay to do, by the way, and encouraged. Um, so, so those of us who have, we all have influence, okay? We all have degrees of influence. You're influencing people in your life, whether you're paying attention to it and intentional about that influence or not. You're influencing people. Now, the question is, am I the kind of person that I would want replicated? That's the question. Am I the kind of person that I want replicated? That God would want replicated? The real me, not the, not the you know, surface me, not the one that people see. And if I'm not then I've got a lot of work to do. Uh, I, I'm convicted about this myself. Um, there are so many times I feel like I stand up here, I preach, and I call you to things that I am just failing at, struggling with. And I don't want to be that, and I know, I know that I must go deeper if I want the church to go deeper. So let me suggest a counterpractice um, that, will, that will guard us from this. Make a practice of investing in your relationship with God daily through Bible reading and prayer. The Bible, as, again, is, is where God has revealed himself to us. And what this book says, this source of truth says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need our minds renewed, and we need it daily. Listen, the, the world, our culture, outside voices, all the noise, it's not letting up. It, it's going to keep on doing its thing. We need a counter practice that is stronger than the formation machine that is our world. And I believe that time alone with God in his word, in prayer, is the greatest counterpractice we have 
to counteract all that the world is doing in the other direction. Intimacy with God, a personal, real relationship with Him where you're hearing from Him, He's revealing things to you, and you're obeying, that takes your love deeper with Him, that is, is what will make us the kind of people worth reproducing, right? So, on to the second point. Second point is we need Bible lenses. And look at um, verses 16 through 22 for this. So he says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater? The gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So what is Jesus saying about them? Notice that in this rebuke, Jesus is directly going against common sayings that they had picked up. He's directly challenging things that they would would frequently say. And they never ask the question, does this align with the Scriptures? They never, they never took the time to think about the statement and search the Scriptures to see if it was actually true. But here's what they would have found if they had done that. It says in Exodus 30, 29, God is speaking to Moses and telling Moses, to consecrate, it says, you shall consecrate them. He's talking about the tabernacle, which becomes the temple. The furnishings in that, all the stuff that filled it, and the altar. You shall consecrate them, set them apart, that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. Now, do you hear that? Whatever, they are most holy, the tabernacle or what becomes the temple, the altar, they are most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. That's the complete opposite of what the Pharisees would say, right? And yet these are people, these scribes and Pharisees are people who, who think about the Bible, think about the Scriptures constantly. So what's wrong here? And I, and I think that what's wrong is that the Bible was not their lens that they didn't look through the Scriptures to see reality. When, when the Scriptures are your lens, you challenge everything, every cultural assumption, everything that comes at you through the news or TV or YouTube or social media or a friend or a coworker or even just a thought that pops into your head or a statement that comes out of your mouth that you're used to saying. They didn't use the Scripture as their lens, as their grid 
for understanding reality. And so they came to believe that the gold was more valuable than the temple itself, that the gift on the altar was more valuable, more holy than the altar itself. And it points out this fatal flaw about these religious men, and that is that they they gave much time to thinking about the Bible, but they never learned to think biblically. And there's a difference. You can think about the Bible and become a cult leader. But you've got to learn to discern by the help of the Holy Spirit through the Bible as your determiner of truth so that you can recognize the deception and the lies. They examined the scriptures but failed to let the scriptures examine them. So when you sit with your Bible open in the morning and you read it, or at night and you read it, ask yourself this question, am I just reading this for information or am I letting it read me? Am I letting this show me myself? James puts it this way. It's like a mirror. And when you read it, you ought to be seeing yourself in it, which is what we're trying to do here with the Pharisees. You see, there's one way to go about a passage about Pharisees and scribes that just says, look at how much they missed it. But that's not the way we're to read the Bible. We're to pick it up like a mirror and say, show me myself, Lord. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me my shortcomings, faults, so that I can become more like Christ. And that is what it is to think biblically. It is to It is to process any information coming into your brain through the Scriptures. So we try to do this with, we'll watch a movie with our kids, and we'll we'll stop the movie and say, okay, hold on. So they just said this. And what they're, they're, here's what they're implying by what they just said or by, by what's happening here. Now, does that, does that align with what we know to be true from God's word? And why not? What is true? You see? And we've got to learn to do that ourselves. Maybe you need to pause the movie or the show, whatever it is, and stop and say, okay, hold on, hold on. A message is being fed to me. A story's being told. Is it true? And does it align with what's true? We've got to learn to be discerning people by using the Bible as our lens through which we see the world. What can you do? So I wanted to give you a practice to help you to, a counter practice to help you to be more discerning. And here it is. I think making a practice of scripture memorization. Because what happens when you memorize scripture is that you're putting God's thoughts his thinking into your thinking. You are transforming yourself by renewing your mind. Your your mind is growing in its way of thinking. And I personally, I think there's an advantage to, if you've been memorizing Scripture for a while and you feel comfortable with it, starting to memorize longer passages, passages of Scripture, because Dallas Willard said this, I didn't come up with this thought, but when you, when you memorize passages of Scripture, you, 
you learn the flow of thought, right? And this is inspired by the, the Holy Spirit. It is the inerrant Word of God. God breathed. This is the very words and thoughts of God. And so as you memorize like passages, you're actually, you're actually training your brain to think the way God thinks. Yes. Man, Ted, killing it this morning. Um, yes. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When we store it up and memorize it, what does it do? It protects us from sin. It protects us from sin because we learn to we learn to think the way that God thinks and see our world the way that he sees our world. Third, third point. Um, we get mission drift, which maybe you're not familiar with that term and I'll explain it. We get mission drift. Look at verses 23 and 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. <coughs> For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So what's Jesus saying about them? The scribes and the Pharisees were so... Um, focused on the letter of the law, that even when they grew mint or dill or cumin in the garden, they would take 10% out of that and give it to the Lord. And Jesus says, okay, you ought to have done that. That was, that was good. But you, you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. The weightier matters of the law, which he says, are justice and mercy and faithfulness. He's saying, you religious leaders are getting caught in the minutia of the law while completely missing its overarching intent. You know, a lot of people today are deconstructing their faith. This is a dangerous trend right now. Question everything. I'm gonna deconstruct everything I've ever thought or believed. And you know, I find the majority of people who are doing that have come from a legalistic religious upbringing. Um, not everyone, but all the stories, there's a pattern that they all follow. All the stories begin with telling their, their beginning. I, you know, I grew up in this kind of an environment, and, and I you know, had to go to church every Sunday and every Wednesday night, and I had to this and that. And what often you find, if you listen, is that they grew up in an environment similar to this that was very much focused on the minutia of the law but missed its overarching intent, but missed the weightier matters. They never saw the heart of Christianity. They didn't see it in their home. Maybe they didn't see it in their church. But 
there's a reason that we're prone to do this. There's a reason that we're prone to focus on the lighter matters of the Word of God and dismiss the weightier matters. And that is, I think, at least two reasons. There's probably more. But one is that it is um, very easy to know and to check it off your list that you followed the, the minute details, right? So it's easier at the end of your week to ask the question, did I tithe this week? Yes or no? Okay, yes, check. Much easier than to ask the question, did I live my life in a way that was just and merciful and faithful? It's a little harder to discern, isn't it? Right? And so it's easy to kind of go, I, uh, I can't really tell. Well, I can, I, can, I can tell I did this. I'll just focus on that. So that's one, one reason. And the secondly, the reason that the, the scribes and Pharisees didn't focus on the weightier matters of the law is that it just so happens the weightier matters of the law require a heart for God. And the Bible tells us it's very clear that they were not regenerate. In other words, God had never given them spiritual life. They'd never believed on Christ, which is necessary for spiritual life to begin in you. And necessary in order for you to know God, in order for you to love God. And so because they didn't have spiritual life in them, they couldn't love God. And, and love for God, we, we learn, is what produces love for others. So they couldn't love others either. And so it's impossible to, to act in a way that's just and merciful and faithful if you don't have a regenerate heart, if you don't have a heart that believes in Christ and grants you spiritual life. He says that they were focused on these minute details and missed the bigger purposes of God, and he likens it to straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. And what he's getting at here is the Pharisees were so concerned with not eating something that was deemed unclean that they would, they would strain their wine just to make sure that, that something like a gnat, an unclean insect, had, making sure it didn't fall in there, they accidentally drink it. And he says, you're straining out a gnat, but the camel is the largest unclean animal in ancient Palestine. He's saying, you're straining out a gnat, you're swallowing whole camels. That's how you're living your life. You're so worried with the minutia of the law and you're missing its purpose. So what can we take away? Well, we can take away the fact that we can get so focused on side things and understanding this or that and things that are even important in the Christian life, living an upright and moral life, and forget or drift away from the ultimate purpose of our lives, the ultimate mission that God has given to the church. And that's why I say mission drift. Jesus, on the other hand, when he comes to earth, was laser focused on his mission. What does he say? He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19.10. That's what 
he came to do. When he calls his disciples to come and follow him, he says, come and follow me and I will clean up your life. No. What does he say? Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is what following me will produce. You are going to be the kind of person at the end of my discipleship with you that catches people for the kingdom of God. Why would Jesus summarize the calling to come and be his disciple that way? Because that's what his heart was always focused on. Amen. Because that's what his heart was focused on, we are a part of the kingdom. Because he, he loved us and, and went to the cross. He was laser focused on accomplishing redemption for God's people. And when we forget this great big mission, we're drifting from his heart and his focus. The closer we get to the heart of Christ, the more we will be focused on his mission to make disciples. That's why we talk about our mission here at New King constantly, to help as many people as, as possible find and follow Jesus. This is, this is our way of saying we want to help as many people as possible become disciples of Christ and then grow in their relationship with him, looking more and more like him. That's our laser focus. But we've got to be focused on this individually as well. And we can so easily start out our Christian walk focused on this and passionate about this and over time get mission drift and, and slowly get sidetracked with other things and forget to be the kind of person that is seeking the lost, that is desiring to make disciples. We can neglect the weightier matters of the Christian life. And when Jesus says justice and mercy and faithfulness, Notice what he focuses his life on. Now, is he focused on those things? Absolutely. And what is more just than rescuing people from the domain of darkness, from bondage to sin and Satan and a path leading to hell? What is more just than rescuing people from that and transferring them into the kingdom of the beloved Son? And what is more merciful than sharing the gospel that, that can that can help a person receive forgiveness for their sins against the holy God? And what is more faithful than doing exactly what the Father had commanded him to do? And so you see, there is nothing more important, nothing that is more worthy of laying your life down for, that's more worthy of living your days for, of spending your energy for, than that more people would come into the kingdom of God. So what can we do? What's a, what's a practice? It starts, let me just say this, it starts with if you have drifted from the great, big, glorious purposes of God, it starts with just a commitment, Lord, help me to get back to what's on your heart. And then secondly, here's the practice, the counter practice that can protect us from drifting is making a practice of praying for and pursuing the lost. Praying for and pursuing the lost. And I start with praying for because here's what I've found. When I have made a consistent practice, and I have not done this 
all the time. But when I have made a consistent practice of praying for the people in my life that don't yet know Jesus, then what ends up happening is that my heart is bent that way. All of a sudden, my eyes are opened. All of a sudden, when I start praying, Lord, give me eyes to see, open up opportunities, give me conversations where I can bear witness to your name, you know what ends up happening? It's that I find myself in a conversation and it just seems to come up. And I don't know if those conversations were happening before and I was blind to them or they're now happening because I'm asking for them or a combination of the two. Whatever the case, when I'm praying, the conversations happen. The opportunities happen. The doors open. And my heart is focused on that, is bent toward that, and the conversations present themselves. And so I say, make a practice of praying for and pursuing people in your life that don't yet know Jesus. Point number four, we need inner transformation. Look at verses 25 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So what's Jesus saying about them? He's saying that the scribes and Pharisees are so focused on the outward external behaviors and and yet they are missing transformation where God is most concerned with it, which is in the inner man. And what do I mean by that? God actually wants us to be so radically changed that our very desires, our motivations, and the things that we love change. Amen. Now, now that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Religion seeks to change you by behavior modification from the outside. But Christianity is, is entirely different. The gospel transforms you from the inside out. Yes, it does change your behaviors. But it changes you at the core of who you are at your desires and motivations and loves. And Christ is concerned with that inner transformation. So what can we take away? Well, we are not transformed by grit and determination and rule keeping. We are transformed by believing the gospel. You you know, when you hear that, if you're listening, you hear that, you may think, that sounds incredibly simplistic. It just it doesn't jive with everything that we're constantly being told from the world around us, does it? But this is what the scriptures say, is that it is by faith in Christ and what he's done for us that changes us. This is what transforms us. So, what do I mean? Well, if you are an anxious person, let's say that you're an anxious person, you just... You're uptight, you're worried, you're concerned all the time about everything. 
and you can't get free of that. How do you get free of that? Do you get free of that by saying, stop being an anxious person. Stop. This is not, I'm not supposed to do this. I'm going to stop being an anxious person. What does that do? Makes you more anxious, doesn't it? So what do you do? How do you ever get free of that bondage? Well, you believe the gospel. Here's what happens. When you turn your mind from all of your anxious thoughts to the good news, Father, you sent your son, your only son, to this earth to live a perfect life, to then suffer and die in my place. You were willing to give what was most precious to you in order to set me free, in order to forgive me of my sin and rebellion against you. Now I can remember, will not he who gave his son not also with him give us all things? If he would give his son to redeem me, won't he take care of this thing that I am worrying myself to death about? And if my issue, what I, I just picked one because it's something I struggle with. But it, you name it, whatever holds you in bondage, whatever it is that you can't seem to get rid of to change, how do you change? Believing the gospel. The gospel will transform you at the core of your being and grant to you freedom. The first thing we've got to do, though, is see the lack of holiness in our lives. See the hypocrisy in our lives. This is what the Pharisees wouldn't do, right? They couldn't see their sin. They couldn't see the sin inside them. This is what Jesus is trying to point out. You're like whitewashed tombs. You're so clean on the outside and inside you're dead. They wouldn't see their own sin. They wouldn't look with reality. And so we've got to see it. And then secondly, when we see the sin, the shortcomings, the pharisaical tendencies in our lives, we then throw ourselves upon the mercy of God that's been provided to us through the cross. And then that grace from the cross is supplied to us cleansing us of our sins and transforming us from the inside out. So what can we do? Here's a suggested counterpractice that I, you know, again, it's not here in this passage, but I believe it's in the scriptures. A counterpractice to help us, and that is make a practice of confessing sin to God, first of all, but then also to other believers who will remind you of the gospel. What does that have to do with this? Well, Here's what I find. When I'm out of the practice of confessing my sin, I stop seeing it. Right? But when I make a regular practice, I mean, Jesus, he includes it in a prayer that sounds like a daily prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. What's he also say? And forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sinned against us. Well, so it sounds like it's a daily practice, confessing our sins to the Lord. You know, what, what ends up happening when I'm in the practice daily of confessing my sins is that I'm no longer blind to my sin. Because as I pray, I'm saying, Lord, help me to see what has grieved you, what has offended you that I need to confess. 
so that, so that I can receive healing and forgiveness. Because 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So the practice of confessing sin to God first, it, it reveals that I still need the gospel, right? And as I see that I still need the gospel, I will go back to the gospel and throw myself upon the mercy supplied to me at the cross so that it can transform me. When I confess my sin to others, as it says in James chapter 5, that we can then be healed. We can receive healing. I think that can mean physical. I think oftentimes sin can create sickness in our bodies, but I think primarily our souls can be healed. I think we wound our own souls with our rebellion against God. We're going against God's created order. And so we have soul wounds that need healing. And when we confess them to someone, and notice that I said to other believers who will remind you of the gospel, what happens? You confess your sin to someone, your, your struggle with someone, your rebellion against God to someone, and it's hard. It's never comfortable. If it is, you're not recognizing the severity of your sin. It's never comfortable. So you say it, okay, here's what I have done. And then when you're speaking to another believer who believes the gospel, and they can hear that and look you back in the eye and say, man, well, let me just remind you of what Jesus did for that. You know what ends up happening in your heart is that you, you can suddenly believe that if this fallen sinful human being can, can show grace to me after I just confessed my sin, then surely a God who is steadfast in his love and compassionate and merciful, surely he too, because of the gospel, can show grace to me as well. And now I can receive it I can believe the promise that if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. The, the challenge is believing it. And confessing your sin is a, is a practice that helps you to believe it, to go back to the gospel, not to forget it, so that the gospel can transform you from the inside out. So to recap, we've learned some pretty important lessons from the failures of the scribes and the Pharisees, but we've also seen that these things are in us as well, if we look close enough. And we've seen four counter practices that can help us to kill the inner Pharisee in us. Daily time with God in prayer and in his word, memorizing scripture, putting his thoughts into my thoughts, praying for and pursuing the lost so that the main thing continues to be the main thing in my life and living in the light, confessing your sin to God and to others. And these four, this isn't a lot, right? Look at that, that's pretty simple. But if you haven't started practicing these, let me just tell you, this will change your life. Not because doing these things will somehow make you right with God, but because these practices keep you close. And it's a relationship with God that transforms you. It's his grace through the gospel that transforms you. And these practices keep you 
close to him and keep you believing the gospel so that you can be transformed. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace supplied to us through your son's death on the cross, through his suffering in our place. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being willing to go to the cross and to endure such pain, to endure the suffering that we deserved, the punishment that we deserved for our sin and rebellion against a holy God. Lord, help us to remember this gospel, that you died, that you were buried, but you did not stay dead. You are alive today. You rose from the grave bodily. You defeated our sin and death and Satan. You have granted to us through your resurrection new life for all who will believe in you. Lord, I pray for any person in this room who has not yet turned to you in faith. Lord, grant to them faith that they may believe. I pray for any person in this room that has not repented, turned away from their sins to you, that they would do that right now, that they would make that decision right now, that you would grant faith right now that they may turn and believe and cling to you and get a fresh start in life, forgiveness and cleansing Oh, Lord, help us who have been following you but have not been committed to spiritual disciplines that keep us close. Lord, help us, supply to us the grace that we need through the cross that we may live close to you in intimacy with you and have lives that are constantly being transformed by you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, now we are going to um, do another practice, and that is the practice of communion or the Lord's Supper. So underneath your seat, you should have one of these. It has a little wafer on the top and some grape juice underneath. We're going to do what's called communion. And, And what this is is a practice that Jesus gave to the church to do to remind us of the gospel, to keep our eyes focused on what he did for us at the cross, what he accomplished for us at the cross. And as we do this week in and week out, um, it's an opportunity for us to feel the, the joy of forgiveness. You know, so many times we say we believe the gospel, but there's, an, there's unbelief in there evidenced by the fact that we never really feel forgiven. Oh, believer, that we would be free from that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, That is good news. That is very good news. And it should send us leaping out of here if we believe the gospel. And so what we're going to do right now is remind ourselves of this gospel. 
I want to take a moment to, to pray. And if you have unconfessed sin in your heart and life that you need to tell the Lord about, then I want you to have an opportunity to do that so that you can receive that freedom of forgiveness. Let me read a verse to you as we pray a few verses. It says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has, past tense, perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, still struggling with sin. It goes on to say, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. This is the the new covenant that Christ brought about. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Wow. Now let's pray and confess any sin that you need to to the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gospel that tells us that we are indeed worse sinners than we ever dared imagine, but we are also more loved than we ever dared hope. So Lord, help us to believe it. Help us to really believe it down deep in our bones and to live according to this truth. Like Jesus often said, go and sin no more. Help us, Lord, to be transformed by this gospel and to go and sin no more because of it. Thank you for what you did for us, Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread with the disciples. He broke it, and he said to them, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after that, he took the cup, which was wine. We have grape juice. It's okay. Don't get caught in the minutia of the law. And he said, this is my blood, which was spilled for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink. Well, I want to move us now into a time of giving, uh, where we think about tithes and offerings and giving back to the Lord. Uh, But first, if you uh, are 
a guest with us this morning. Uh, please feel no obligation to give. We're just so grateful that you were here. Um, something that you can give that would really be a blessing to us is that Connect card. If you want to find out any more about, about our church, uh, you can fill that out. We have um, small groups, community groups that meet throughout the week where we have uh, where we study the Word together, have fellowship, um, really the lifeblood of our church. Um, you can find out more about membership, even baptism. Uh, and so you can fill that out and put it in the bowl on the table in the back. Um, but I want to pull out an idea from Ben's sermon to help us think about uh, offering and tithes. And we see, we saw Christ, right, rebuke the Pharisees for the way that they were giving, right? They were following the law very precisely with, uh, with the spices and giving 10%. And you might read that and say, oh, well, maybe Christ is saying we don't have to really worry about that anymore. It's just really about some of the greater things like justice and mercy and faithfulness. Uh, and you may think this church now in the new covenant doesn't, doesn't have to give anymore, but I might argue against that and say the church here today in the new covenant is going to give more. When we look at the church in Acts 2, we see them selling everything and giving that for the purpose of the church and for the kingdom to grow together. And so why do we give today? Not out of the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law that tells us to lay everything down for the purpose of God's kingdom and for us to cheerfully take part in giving back and seeing his work grow. So there's a number of ways uh, that you can give here at New King uh, in the bowl in the back or online. Uh, and we have an app as well, Church Center app. Um, but something else I want to think about during this time is uh, Montpelier and the church that is starting there. They're uh, in a series of a few preview services. They're meeting. Uh, they probably finished up 30 minutes ago or so uh, with one of their preview services. And they're going to have those in the next few weeks and then an official launch uh, on Easter. And so I know a lot of you have given towards that, so I just wanted to give you an update. Keep that in front of uh, your mind and pray for them. And if the Lord is calling you to serve them, go be a part of that uh, congregation for a few weeks, a few months to serve there. Please continue to think about that and pray about that. And so let me pray for all of these things. Lord, we remember your goodness and how you have used us, Lord, to grow the kingdom in Vermont and have sent people from our church to go and do your work in Montpelier. And Lord, we remember them and we pray for them and we ask that you would give them strength, Lord, and that they would have servants, that they would have people who can reach out to the people in that community and bring them into your fold, just like Christ has called us to do. So strengthen them, Lord. Strengthen their team. Give them joy for this work. And Lord, as we think about giving back to you, giving to your kingdom, giving of ourselves, of our resources, would we do it cheerfully, remembering all that you have given to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, one quick announcement before we go. We have an Easter service coming up in a few weeks on the 17th. We have three services, 830, 10, and 1130. And as you've heard us say, we are challenging everyone to invite people. This is a great way to begin to pray for and seek the lost around you uh, because we are going to be presenting the risen Christ, the gospel, the good news of salvation 
uh, very clearly that day. And by the way, those first two services, 8.30 and 10, are going to have uh, nursery and kids ministry. So if you're reaching out to other families with kids, you make sure they know uh, about that. But we have little invite cards on the table and also in the lobby uh, where you can grab and use those to invite other people. And so really, really want to fill up these seats so that the message of the gospel can be heard on that day. And so let me say a prayer for us as we go. Lord, give us strength to, to work by your spirit, Lord, to not rely on ourselves, but to recognize the strength that you have given us. Lord, show us the habits that we need to produce that will form Christ in us. Go with us, Lord. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for being here. See you soon.